2: Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games a bit like songs often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is a writer, producer and director of plays, films and video games. In 1997, he left Germany to study theatre at NYU in New York. While a student, my guest began freelancing as a video game journalist, Contributing to NextGen, official Dreamcast magazine, and the legendary Famitsu in Japan. He then joined Treyarch to work on the video game adaptation of Steven Spielberg's Minority Report, a project that set him on the path of cross-media storytelling. His 2014 graphic novel, Ricky Rouse Has a Gun, was named one of the Boston Globe's Books of the Year, And then two years later, his debut feature film, The White King, adapted from a Hungarian novel, debuted at the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Later, his theatrical adaptation of Ernest Hemingway's 1926 novel, The Sun Also Rises, became a West End success, described by a reviewer for the Sunday Telegraph as intense, raw and compelling. And most recently, my guest directed C-Smash VRS a virtual reality-based follow-up to the cult classic arcade and dreamcast game Cosmic Smash.
3: Welcome, Jörg, to tell. Thank you very much for this intro. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, for, I I never lived in Germany, actually. I was born in Belgium, but uh, but, I, okay. but maybe mm-hmm. that, that explains my sort Did of... Did you study there? No, no. I, I My dad was German, and that probably expla- explains my sort of cross-media sort of thing, because I'm a cross-media creation myself, because my mom was Polish, my dad was German, I was born in Belgium, and hence I have no identity or at least no national identity, which I actually kind of enjoy yeah. not having, and so therefore I have to do everything and dabble in everything, I guess. Right, interesting. Yeah, and, and and the the Hemingway adaptation actually was my wife adapted it, and I produced her West End show. You produced it, right? Yeah. Which so we we had founded a production company together, and and just made plays and films together, and uh, and uh, she's not a gamer at all. So 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 I had to you know uh, eventually get back to my sort of incredibly nerdy roots and yeah yeah. i mean i feel i I have to have to say I, i feel most at home in games um just because they combine everything you know
2: yeah i was going to ask you that because obviously you've had some success in all these different areas uh you know graphic novels films theater um is it is it video games where you feel you most enjoy telling stories well i think like
3: now especially in the way the world has evolved over the last 20 30 years where you know i mean everyone has started second screening life uh you know their own children at this point the one art form where that's not impossible pretty much is video games it's like yeah you can you mm-hmm. can do a twitch stream i guess while you play a game but you do have to quote unquote engage with the content you know while you play it <laughs> and that and that for a creative person that puts blood, sweat and tears into a project is 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 reassuring and almost essential. I feel that, you know, when we make films, the only place where they can have a real real home, uh, w- one where the audience will respect it is on the big screen, is in the cinema. Because at home, we're all distracted away from, from our films now. I mean, you know. Uh, you know my you know Martin Scorsese masterpieces that I purchased on Amazon end up in the my stuff folder you know and it's just (laughs) it just doesn't feel right
2: (laughs) yeah that's such a great point I hadn't thought of that but yeah I will sometimes be watching a TV series or a or a film and then just find myself glancing at Twitter or something and then have to almost sort of make the psychological effort to not do that and put it to one side and engage properly but yeah with video games can't really do that, can you? Unless it's a loading screen.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's funny. It's like with games, you have to pay attention, and and, and in VR even more so. I mean, you 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 you're trapped in some in, inside somebody else's creation, um, <laughs> and it's like we we almost have to take people hostage now to get the, to have their attention. But uh, but it's 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 a kind it's a kind uh, relationship, I hope. But also games, you know, of course they're they're immense because they're also the most democratic form of art. What do you mean by that? You know, they're the one that. That doesn't just say, like, I am... It's not just, I'm the great artist and here's my thing and you have to enjoy it. It's like, no, like, I want to see what your input into this mm-hmm. thing will be. I want to I invite you in. And as, as games become more and more accessible on mobile platforms, on, you know, like, essentially, the idea of the expensive hardware is still there, but we are ultimately democratizing, you know, uh, access to games, even old games that back in the day no one could afford. Now you can get a ROM and check out, you know... Your, your your retro favorite, so to speak. I mean, it's 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 amazing that the, this is not possible with other art forms, really. You know, you, you you can't really enjoy a Van Gogh painting unless you go to a fancy gallery in which it is housed. And with games, we invite people uh, more. So I, I, I think it's the evolution of art. You know, it has has come to a place where where now you know games are, have combined everything from you know fine arts to music to architecture to you know, to theater, to 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 audience participation, all those things, and to this beautiful thing that just keeps evolving. I I, I think they're they're a beautiful thing games, and, and and they have yet to reach their potential. Really, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, indeed. So I I've met you once before, Jörg, earlier this year, and um, if I had to describe your vibe in a word, it would probably be excitable, <laughs> uh, which is great. Very passionate person, but I think you are. My sense is that you are unusually excited about this current project that you've got, uh, C Smash VRS. It is it is based on a rather obscure arcade slash Dreamcast futuristic uh, sports game. I think you know maybe not that many people would have played it. Of course, I've played it. I'm a professional. But uh, for those for those people who who perhaps haven't played it, what was it that that you know drew you to this game in the first? place and made you want to update it for a contemporary audience.
3: You know, it was back in 2001 I had actually just had an article of mine published in Famitsu DC, which was F- Famitsu's Dreamcast magazine, um, in Japan. And and I, for that magazine I'd interviewed Yoshitaka Amano. The artist, yeah. Yeah, the artist that were the, the artist who created essentially Final Fantasy's, you know, characters and and style. And I went to his studio at the time in, in New York and had interviewed him and took pictures of him in his studio and I felt completely giddy and I was just like 19 years old at the time or 20 or something. And as I, when I received that copy of that magazine and it was going to be one of the last issues of it because only a couple of months after that, the Dreamcast would be discontinued by SEGA. In that issue, I saw a screenshot of this game, and it said Naomi there, so it was released on the uh, Naomi arcade uh, hardware, which the dream, which used which shared the same architecture as the Dreamcast. Actually, I have the Perfect yeah. sort Smash of cabinet behind me there. <laughs> yeah. You do indeed. I could see, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I got, and I saw that screenshot of just one screenshot of this minimalist sort of almost outline of a player with a, with a sort of futuristic racket and these blocks in the back, and it just it just conjured up in me these feelings of like this is the ultimate game. I, I just I love this. It just yeah. seems to embody everything that I love about games in this one snapshot. And and then I saw that it was going to come out in October or November or something at the time and uh, couldn't wait for it to come out in the meantime they discontinued the dreamcast and when that game actually came out and uh, landed on my desk i managed to you know snap up an imported copy the object was just stunning that that case which was this the unusual DVD case they uh, the, all the other dreamcast games in japan came in cd cd cases it was sort of like milky whites wasn't it it's sort a of transparent semi-transparent and yeah. the orange disc was shining through the milky white front it was just an absolute yeah. design icon i was like wow this is so beautiful and yet so tragic the fact that this didn't get the you know the success that it deserved. Uh, uh. And at the same time, almost Rez came on Dreamcast as well, Um, which, you know, of course, Tetsuya Mizuguchi and his then uh, team at United Game Artists had made. And they were, he was friends and worked very closely with Kenji Sasaki, who was the executive producer of, of Cosmic Smash. And I imagine that they would have had I've never confirmed this with with uh, with Tetsuya, but uh, they, they, I'm sure they would have looked at what they were doing, uh, what the other teams were doing, because they had things in common stylistically. Yeah, similar aesthetic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And those two games, to me, are timeless. And and of course, Res Infinite has has had an incredible life in VR and, and, and on sort of next-gen consoles. But it was back in 2001 that I really fell in love and I wanted to one day play this in VR, you know, uh, because to me... Sega was always a VR company, you know. It it always felt like a virtual reality to me ever since I stepped inside an Outrun cabinet in 1986 and and my my little feet barely touched the pedals, you know. I was just I I stepped inside a headset essentially, right? It, but it just moved it 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 took my whole body to a whole a beautiful place and yeah, so so, so I always wanted Been to be in the back of your mind so 20 yeah, years for all
2: that time, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, we will come back to this a bit later in the chat. But just quickly, tell me, how did you go about securing the rights? Because I guess uh, you can't just walk into Sega, Sega's offices in Hammersmith or wherever they're based and go, um, "I want to make Cosmic Smash too."
3: What did you do? Well, I mean, firstly, the people at Sega Europe didn't even know what Cosmic Smash is. <laughs> and and uh, and they, you know, I think they made some inquiries. I did approach them at first, and that didn't go anywhere. And eventually, I, I I managed to start talking to to Sega in Japan, and even there, you know, I was getting these, you know, almost weird looks from people going like, "What? Why?" People <laughs> jumping on Google, going, "Is that one of ours?" <laughs> <laughs> What is this is it. And also, if it is it is I was when we looked at the, and it was only released in Japan. It's like I know this. It's like okay, <laughs> and and um, so so yeah, I I almost had to convince the rights holders as to why it would be a good idea for, for and why this thing had value, you know, which is kind of a, a bad way, I guess but it, I just felt that it deserved to come back and it, it had to it had to come back and it had to come back in this new and evolved form which I feel should have always been its natural form you know it felt like a virtual reality thing because that's what arcade games again hmm. feel like to me you know I, I feel like I'm stepping inside those worlds rather than sitting on a couch and being sort of separated mm. by the screen mm. you know. So
2: then began all the negotiations that you can't talk about but uh, but we've got it anyway <laughs> uh, okay alright yeah. so I've asked you to pick the five video games you would like to install in your very own ideal video game console um you've picked five corkers i think you've you've actually already mentioned the first title so why don't you tell us about this tell us about this game what is it why do you love it when did you first encounter it
3: my first game is outrun to me is such a seminal, seminal game because it is the game that i associate the most with sega uh but it's also a game whose feeling uh of the, the feelings that it sort of uh, brings up in you is um is one of not of escape but of traveling like you, f- you feel like you're really traveling somewhere inviting you know the game uh, the world doesn't hate you it doesn't try to kill you um you're not trying to mine it or strip it of anything it's just it's it's open to you and you and you get to explore it and you get to choose your own path through it and one round of it when you know how to when you, once you've learned how to master it you know is can be cr- incredibly fast it will only take you know 10 20 minutes depending on how you play it and uh, and how how hard the difficulty setting you set it to but it's but it is it just feels good. Uh, the music is stunning. The graphics are timeless, and so that feeling is one that I've been chasing ever since. You know, mm. and and very rarely do games bring it back to me. And and maybe it is maybe it is some sort of weird midlife crisis now where I go like, oh, you know, I want to feel like that eight-year-old child again. Mm-hmm. Was there one particular Outrun
2: cabinet that you would personally visit all the time?
3: Yeah, there was, well, no because I was in Brussels at the time and and the way I visited that one was it was part of a traveling circus. Oh, okay. And and it was a circus and they I mean, imagine the effort like of lo- loading it was the full size one. And so imagine loading that onto a truck, right? Uh, some massive truck like these huge trucks circus, and then and unloading it, bring it down the ramp, like building tent, like moving it in, and the tent had a bunch of arcade cabinets. What? In it. Yes, it was the best. Well, they just had a generator to power them all. Yes like next to the lions or whatever it was like super loud and the whole town was just vibrating to this like arcade <laughs> machine generator but it was <laughs> right. it was stunning and i played all these incredible games in there so so once a year literally once summer would arrive and it would bring arcade games yeah. to, so that's how i played out no
2: way what a great memory that's so cool did you you were living in Brussels at the time? Did you move around a lot, or was that where you spent all of your childhood? No,
3: no I I I didn't move around a lot. Uh, my parents uh, were in Brussels because my father was working for the European Commission um, uh, in Brussels, uh, and uh, which this uh, great country of the UK has now <laughs> separated itself from. Uh <laughs> nothing to do with me mate. <laughs> yes, I know. He, he he was one of the evil sort of, you know, uh uh bureaucrats in Brussels, right. but uh but no, he 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 was a great guy, my dad. And and my mom uh was a composer, a Polish uh film composer and also operas and 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 symphonic music and chamber music. Mm. And um so I was growing up in Brussels but spending quite a lot of time in France because my parents had a house there in the south. And so it was mostly spent between Belgium and France, really, mm. before I then moved to the did States. Did you
2: feel any pressure to learn an instrument and all of that stuff follow after your mum?
3: You know, I did. I did. I felt pressured, and and I don't like being put under pressure. And uh, and I also felt that I would never be able to compete with my... Not that I wanted to compete with my mother, but I would never. But I'd always be in the shadow of my mother if, if I was to become a, a musician. And I love to sing, and I'm a musical person, and I adore music, and and, I, and most of my friends are musicians, actually. But it's I just felt like you know my mother was a genius. You know, she wrote her first concerto when she was six years old. You know, there's no way I would ever be able to oh, wow. to measure up to that. And so, so that's how. I, but I, but stories and telling stories and entertaining people is something that I loved to do the most. And uh, and I felt that that games were you know ever since I was little would be you know the place where where you could do that where you could really you know um, create art some sort of new form of art and and my mother believed me like you know whenever I would she would go and travel somewhere the concert or something out to America or something. Can you please buy me a, 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 a CDX or some other obscure game system? It's very important for me because one day I want to be—I want to be making games. So it's like for research purposes, mom. You know, mm, and. Yes. Uh, at the end, yeah, my father was completely just shocked every time she'd come back with some sort of new <laughs> video game. Sort of. Come
2: back with a massive box next to a violin or whatever she plays. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But you know, it's yeah. So I have to, uh, to thank my mom for it. She believed that that I was onto something, which is which is yeah. great.
2: Oh, that's quite interesting. It's funny how kids pick up on the way in which the the optimum way to pitch their parents on how they should be allowed a particular toy or video game system isn't it like yes yes it was always <laughs> about yeah, games
3: th- were always about pure productivity for me of course
2: <laughs> well yeah and you released a game earlier this year called The Last Worker so it's uh, that's maintained. yeah it?
3: <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean, I mean the last worker was an interesting one because there was a game that that I've spent many, many years making, like at first on my own and then sort of like gathering up the cast, the gathering to cast together of Jason Isaacs and Olof, Darry Olofsson and all these wonderful people. And then eventually teaming up with this amazing team at Wolf and Wood up in Newcastle, um, Ryan Bousfield and his team of, peop- of, of amazing developers. And it's so interesting that in the meantime, we... Cosmic Smash came or Sea Smash and then for that matter came together and Ryan uh, who is equally a madman to me I think agreed to do it so suddenly we were making two games at the same time e- extra productive
2: uh, I'm sure your parents would be pleased yeah yeah <laughs> yes
3: sadly they're not here to see it but uh, I'm finally doing mm. something uh. <laughs> you you made good on your childhood promise yes so. <laughs> o- only took me half a lifetime to get there but you know you know better late than never Okay, Jag, let's come to your your second game then. Um, Tell us about this one. My, my, My second game is Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness is is a I guess a side scrolling. Uh, it's actually not scrolling. If you go, you move mostly screen from one screen to another. Mm, yeah, and you're a little boy whose dog gets snatched by these dark forces of evil and by these shadow creatures. And so, so this boy goes on this adventure. He takes a spaceship to try and chase after these shadow beasts. And uh, and ends up in this in this world in another world in uh, where he tries to get his dog back. Uh, his dog was was called Whiskey, actually. <laughs> I, I think you'd be allowed to to call the dog after an alcoholic drink anymore in a video game, but you know those were <laughs> rock and roll days back then. <laughs> the nineties. Oh man, we, we you know I was drinking whiskey while playing it actually just a... Uh, the one with the dog but uh but yes and and he and that game is just stunning the animation is absolutely stunning it is an evolution of of the you know quote-unquote formula that eric had had started with uh, with with out of this world but but here the animation was truly cinematic and the thing that also made it absolutely stunning was that the cutscenes, which were uh, at the time they were pre-rendered but they would seamlessly blend with or flow into the gameplay. There were no load times, and which was only possible because of the PlayStation. Uh, interestingly, it was originally in development for the Saturn, but uh, but then the Saturn was failing as a system, and so you know. There to change strategy So it would, would, yes. would have been a Sega exclusive originally. But yes, uh I'm so 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 uh, clearly I'm in love with all this sort of could have been sort of Sega games <laughs> and Sega successes. <laughs> but uh but yeah it it that game is just brutally hard and incredibly engaging and and it's a puzzle platformer essentially because you have to re- even though you've got action scenes, the action itself also requires intelligence and strategy, it would take another sort of couple of decades after that for another game to do this again and uh yes. in, in in 2D so to speak and there would be inside which is heavily, heavily yes. inspired by, by Heart of Darkness, another great game, of course. Mm-hmm. It also came with little 3D glasses. Uh, oh did yeah. it huh. and uh, and you only got to enjoy the 3D bit when you finished the game and the fight the end sequence was a 3D movie. <laughs>
2: That's your payoff. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, originally they were going to make everything in three D. I think, and uh, and then the mm. sort of they ran out of budget. I think, and then, uh, right. yeah, yeah. but still, the glasses were awesome. Um, and it was a huge hit, which I didn't know. Eric told me this. It was actually a massive financial success, even though people were you know, talking about how it's going to be doomed because, you know, who wants to play 2D games anymore? And, right, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we all like 3D now and blah, blah, blah. And the one thing that actually stole some of its, took some of the wind out of its sail um, was was Oddworld, which came out a year beforehand. Yes. But was heavily inspired by it because Lauren Lanning had actually seen the game backstage at a CES like three years prior, you know. Oh, I see. Right, yeah. And so that always pissed me <laughs> off, actually. I'm like, Dude, there's there's some sequences that friend literally just like like taken out of it. Like him tumbling down a hill and then letting him falling on his butt and then you're inside the game. That was in there. Well look, that just may have been a happy
2: accident, Yeah, I don't wanna I don't want any lawyers writing to me. So Oh I oh I'm
3: not saying that that there was necessarily you know Borrowed from the game, but but still, but still, I, 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 if 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 anything, I, I, I would have wanted people to experience that in Heart of Darkness first because that game was in development right. far yeah. far longer. Yeah, than than Oddworld, and I love Oddworld by the way. It's it's one of my all-time favorite games as well. So you know, just it's just an interesting fact.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: So tell me, how did you come to to move to NYU then to, to study theatre? So you're you're living between France and Belgium at this time and then yeah, what what takes you over there?
3: Well, I I, I wanted to become an actor and um and I um I just graduated what I s do you graduate from high school? Well, I guess you do. And uh and uh, and I I really wanted to go to to the UK and I want to go to London because that's where theatre resides. And I was also incredibly disorganized and didn't fill out the application forms fast enough uh, in order to go to a acting school or a conservatory or something in London. And because I wanted mm. to go to RADA, you know, and sure, but it, it was it seemed possible in New York, which would would have you know New York was everyone's dream as well as an actor and so i applied to uh, i had to audition um at nyu at the school of the arts and prepared a couple of
2: what did you do for your audition
3: i actually i did i did mark anthony's speech from julius caesar even though they they specifically asked to not see any Shakespeare monologues. No Shakespeare. And so I said, <laughs> if, since no one was going to do Shakespeare now, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so yeah, So I definitely stood out with that one. And um, except I I did, yeah, no, that one was fun. And then I also did a, a monologue from a play uh, by Patrick Süskind, who is the author of The Perfume, great novel, which was then turned into the, Tom Tickford turned into a okay film. I did a monologue from his play called The Double Bass, which is a comedic, Sort of tragicomic uh, monodrama or, or play for one actor, <laughs> and I and I performed that audition or that monologue for them in in five languages because I thought because I speak five languages and I thought it'd be quite fun to to just show them that I can act in or or maybe can't act that there was for them to judge um, in in five different languages. That's a big flex, yeah. Very impressive. Well, you know, <laughs> I thought you know acting is all about standing out. But then I also realized that, you know, uh, while studying and I did lots of plays, lots of shows, um, and I I love being on stage. I've, done, I've been on stage since as well, but I just didn't like the lifestyle of an actor. It felt so lonely to me, and it's so dependent on other people's love all the time. Yes. And I just didn't want to be judged in 10 seconds on my looks, which aren't great. You know, there's a lot of overcompensating that my looks require. I
2: reject that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well maybe i maybe i'm blossoming late you know
2: so do, how did you start freelancing for these magazines then while you're while you're studying to be an actor well
3: within within a few months of landing in new york and being there and going to that very expensive you know educational institution um my my parents didn't have a lot of money and it was going to be a struggle uh, for them to to keep me there and because uh, i'd made some the unfortunate business decisions in their lives at the time and so I was faced with the reality that they that we wouldn't be able to, you know, that they, they wouldn't be able to keep me there. And so it was basically going to be, you know, I have to find some money or I have to go back to Europe. Yes. And that idea just freaked me out. I just loved it so much in New York. It felt like I really just belonged there um and but i was at the same time feeling very vulnerable one day and uh, and and the and I, like a like a kid i was just like i felt completely helpless and so i crawled back to the thing that was my my happy place which was video games and so i went down into the computer sort of room in the uh, in the dorm at NYU in my, in my dorm, and and I visited the website for my favorite German video game magazine, Maniac, at the time, who was also my bread, bread and butter back in, in Belgium, because the way I would buy new games is I would send them cheat codes, and they'd send me money. They actually sent wow, cash. In exchange for cheats. In exchange for cheats. <laughs> and I was cheating at the cheat codes, I have to admit, because... At first, I actually literally spent days like doing up A, right A, right right A at the main screen, oh usually on the main menu. And eventually, sometimes it would work, right? right? It was like, yeah, <laughs> I hit the jackpot and then I'd send it in and, uh, and they'd send me money. Get 10 euros. But then I really <laughs> felt like, a, like I was really wasting my, my time doing that. And so I had this idea i I went into my favorite little uh, import magazine shop in Brussels, and they had Famitsu there and says the Japanese versions would come out about you know three to six months before the western release. <laughs> their cheat section was way ahead of ours um and so I would just translate their 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 cheats and then just send them in wow and but I would always have to wait because I'd have to wait to, for it to at least make sure that the game was out. <laughs> So they were essentially paying for
2: your translation services. So I think it's, you know, e- ethically okay. <laughs> uh,
3: uh, okay, perfect. Well, the translation would usually just be a left and a right arrow <laughs> and and a button. But yeah, sure. But yes, uh, I've already come clean to the editors of Maniac. They know and they've forgiven okay. me since. Uh, so that's fine. I, I guess I must have also associated them not just with my happy place, but also with money. So maybe I contact them, but I didn't ask them for a job or anything. I just said, hello, I missed. Can, can I... Can I can you send me a copy uh, here to New York cuz I really miss it. I know I can subscribe from the US and blah blah blah. And this and the editor in chief uh, a lovely guy um uh, uh Foster he just responded to me and said like we're actually looking for a US correspondent right now. Can you write? And I like, uh, yeah maybe and and so I I started writing for them. And since I was quite active on on ICQ and AOL Instant Messenger and other sort of you know, emerging chat platforms, also trying to sort of make contact with my favorite game developers, I landed my first world exclusive. Which was what? <laughs> which, was, which was Giant Citizen Kabuto, oh, yes. mm. I think. I think it was either that or it was... Uh, it was th- it was two at the same time. It was that, um, w- which was an incredible game. And also another one was a company called Big Blue Box at the time. It was working on an as-of-yet unannounced game for for Xbox. Well, but it wasn't Xbox yet because they didn't know what they were making it for yet. And it was going to be Fable. Right. And so I became friends with Dean uh, and Simon Carter, the Carter brothers, the creators of Fable. And uh, this was before they were even uh, working with Peter Molyneux on it, etc., and uh, and they said they were working on on a big epic sort of RPG narrative thing. And so I also had the first sort of teaser reveal of that. And that got the attention of Next Generation Magazine. Yeah. And then I started working for them. And you were off. Et cetera. So I was off.
2: Okay, uh, we better come to your third game. What is this one? And uh, tell me why you love it.
3: Uh, my third game is Ridge Racer Type 4. Ridge Racer Type Four is is a, a, another just incredible design icon, you know, uh, and and, and it, it's a game that has the best soundtrack to this day. Well, perhaps you know once we've had our our our, our time to our away um, with it, but was uh, no, I mean Ridge Racer Type Four was. Uh, is a game that I play and replay all the time. It's the it's after Outrun and Sega Rally, you know my favorite racing title. Um, it's it's and it doesn't. It, it's extremely hard to be really really good at it, but it just feels like you're flowing and and it feels like you're dancing. Your car is dancing in that game. It feels like you're lounging, like you're partying at night. It takes you to just a, a different place. And the and the graphic design of it, the menus, the. Everything, the presentation, the feel of it, is just perfect. It's you know I, I can't think of another game that has uh, that is packaged and uh, and so, and sort of executed in a stylisher way as uh, as Ridge Racer Type Four. I, I I adore that game so much.
2: Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. no previous guest Phil Fish, creator of Fez, is the only other person to have picked it, but. Uh... Yeah, I think it's one of the best, one of the best racing games, certainly, and not just because it's so good at racing it, but it's every, it's the whole feel of the game, isn't it? It's the environments, the time of day at which you're racing, and then the soundtrack and the cars and everything. It's such an immense
3: vibe. It makes total sense why Phil would love that because you know his game, you know, I mean, Fez is is, is a game. I mean, I would have totally added that to my. If you had given me ten games to put on my favorite console, I would I would have added Fez because he you know what he's managed to do with that game as well is like it, everything is integrated everything is just perfect yeah holistic thing yeah, yeah. within the thing It's holistic yes yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's organic it's it's a, it's a creature you know the whole thing and richrice <laughs> Tap 4 is a creature as well it's 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 a, it's a fully a full it's a being you know and it's like and that that can only happen when the team is entirely in sync with each other and you can see that they were all they all had the same philosophy they were sharing a feeling and they're and they're infusing everything with that feeling. It's gorgeous. Mm. It's gorgeous. I've I've learned so much Amazing. from that game.
2: So tell me, uh, you you moved to Treyarch and start working with Activision on on Spielberg's Minority Report. What was that like? This is the first adaptation, I guess, that you're working on. And in your career, that seems to have been a bit of a theme. You know, what was it like joining that team? And what were you given to work from? Was the film finished?
3: Well, it's really interesting. I was given nothing. Actually, the The thing, the reason I worked for it was almost uh, out of a place of des- despair because I was in New York. It was uh, 9-11 and... Shortly after 9-11, and I was, you know, the horrors that that the whole city there and the country and the world really endured with that event, I, my, it turned out that my visa was completely messed up. And because, again, I was a bit lazy about paperwork uh, and also NYU had messed it up. And so it turned out that I'd been in the U.S. Uh, in a sort of slightly dodgy status uh, for a year and a half without knowing it. Oh, right. Wow. And, and people had noticed it you know, when I was traveling back and forth, thankfully for me, but at the same time, you know, I could have probably done something about it. So there I'm in this precarious position. And so I sent out an email to all my contacts uh, and in the industry, but also friends, et cetera, in the US saying that I'll likely be leaving in the US. Uh, uh It's been really great to, uh, to be here, but I'll probably have to return to Europe for, you know, silly reasons, et cetera. And like within an hour, I get an email from this guy, uh, Alan Barish, who I'd met. Who said, "Like, hey, dude, we're maybe we, you can work at TREARC. Treyarch. We're making this game, and we, f- I feel we could use your expertise because no one can write here. And since you're studying theater, maybe you can write." So, so I I went on that job interview, and the job interview was a disaster. Like, I was talking to this guy, Doctor Peter Aikman, one of the founders of Treyarch. And a programmer, and and he asked me, so, uh, so York, uh, what programming languages do you use? I'm like, I, 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 I don't. Oh, what? Well, this is a a, a tech heavy company, we're like a tech led game developer, and so you would need to know how to code here. And I was like, I, 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 sorry, I'm sorry, but that's just not what I do. I'm a, I'm a writer, and and sort of direct. I want to direct, and you know, it's like. Yeah, well, maybe you should read C plus for dummies. Um, this, and he handed me this book, and like come back to me and see if you understand the basic principles. Because, and I said that. But how about okay? No, I, I, I'm sorry, but I won't do that. And he's like, oh, like this. And I said, like, yeah, because I, 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 I don't think that I should be doing that. I think how about I sit down with a really skilled young programmer and design a tool that would allow idiots like myself to build levels and and therefore be able to focus on what we know how to do well, which is sort of writing characters and things, which I I feel games could really use at this stage, right? Especially one based on a Steven Spielberg movie. It's like, oh, okay. And so I thought I'd completely messed it up and then I, I they offered me a job. Nice. Which is great. <laughs> The, the, but but we had absolutely no right. access to the to the to, film. To, uh, sorry to the film. Um, they gave us no access to the film. I was told by the producer, uh, one of the producers there. He said, "Like, well, I've read the script and I can walk you through it." And I'm like, ah. um, <laughs> "Yeah," <laughs> It's said, "Yeah, it's it's a high security situation. You know, it's <sighs> we're under multiple NDAs. You know, we cannot. You know, the junior team members cannot read it and all that stuff." And I was and I had my sort of two or three month sort of review meeting at Activision HQ, just like within like Stone's throw of Bobby the Hotcotex office. Don't
2: say anything libelous.
3: <laughs> Did I say anything? Not yet. <laughs> okay. And I and I was in a meeting with uh with a producer at Activision so he's like you know the 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 boss of the Treyarch producer essentially yeah and he's so 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 how's it going you know how was your experience here so far we've had some positive feedback on your performance and all that jazz and I go it's great i don't know how my performance could be positive because i have no idea what the film is about you know <laughs> i you know i I've been given this thing. I have no idea. I mean, it seems like we're doing something that goes counter to what the film is about. Yeah, well, that's because we can't use Tom Cruise's likeness. That's not part oh, of the gosh.
2: license agreement. It's like a comedy, isn't it? It's well, like it's a if comedy. you were writing... I mean, it's like a script for something it, where you go, awful. This
3: too far-fetched. It was awful. And you know how the <laughs> film was about predicting violence and murder? And you had these precogs, characters, and they could... And, and they were tied in some cables and computers, and like you couldn't even commit a crime because they would predict your crime ahead of you doing it. You get arrested ahead of time and whatever. So, what, what did Treyarch decide to make? Uh, what kind of game did they decide to make? Is, is a brawler where you walk around and throw people out of windows. And you go, like, yeah, hang on a second. And it's like, yeah, yeah, just right around that. So, I don't know. They've turned off the precog department or something temporarily. And so, I'm like, but that's not the, that's not the point of the whole thing. We're missing a whole point. This is bullshit. Like, so, so anyway, but that's what we're doing, they said. Okay. Anyway, I was in that meeting, and, and at some point, he was actually called into uh, Mr. Kotick's office. Mm. And so during the time, I looked at the little sort of philo facts with all the <laughs> phone numbers, and I called up the production office of the film. I didn't. No, you didn't. And I said, <laughs> Well, like uh, Amblin, it, it was it was at Fox, I believe, or whatever the studio was. Oh, Fox, okay, yeah. and um, and I said, uh, "Excuse me, hi, hi, yeah, hi, I'm calling you here from Activision, and uh, I'm technically the a, a writer on a junior writer on this on the game on the Minority Report game," and they go like, "There's a game?" I was like. Yeah, 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 There's. I, I guess this is probably something that went straight only through your marketing department, but but we're working on a game, and some of us are really, really, passionate about making a really good game, and I'd love to do that myself. The problem is, I haven't read the script, so do you think I could read the script? Oh, yeah, sure, 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 Um, just, just where are you right now? Activision headquarters, is that just the address? What's your name? Great, cool, we'll send you a copy right away, and I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 okay. So, so, so the meeting committee comes back, you know, he sits down and whatever. And literally within 20 minutes, this guy in a motorcycle helmet comes in and goes like, Mr. Tittle. <laughs> and this courier hands me this and, 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 the producer goes like, what is this? I'm like, Oh, that's, that's the script. That the, the, what what's this is the script, the script to the, to the, to the movie. And I say, what do you mean? What movie? What, what, my am report? I, I just asked for it. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's cool. Like they're, they're totally cool with it. So that didn't put me in the greatest stead, unfortunately, with most people. Well,
2: with the middle management,
3: I guess, we're pretty cross that you cut out their jobs there. Middle management (laughs) was essentially creative directing this project, Mm. which explains the quality of that game. But I'm very, very proud, actually, of one moment. Again, we sat down with a couple of junior uh, programmers one night. We bought ourselves a 12-pack of beers. And we stole some of the sort of web-slinging code from Spider-Man team, which was downstairs at Treyarch. And we built the sort of tunnel chase sequences as a sort of little proof of concept, which turns out to be the only thing that's fun in the Minority Report game. Because, I mean, the one thing that we knew was there was a tagline on the poster that that had been a teaser poster, which said, everybody runs. And so, yeah, let's have him run away from something. And the easiest way to do that would be on a jetpack in the tunnel. And so, yeah, so those little bonus interstitial levels Amazing. were created by a few young rebels uh, who were just kind of sick with all this middle management wow. nonsense.
2: One incredible snapshot into a uh, now disappeared period of uh, video game development. I think, <laughs> yes, thankfully um, it's nah, been one the
3: The license base the the game pure based on a license for license sake. Time is mostly dead. Exactly. I hope. Yeah
2: mostly did. Right, let's uh, Let's come to your fourth game then, yeah. So
3: tell us about this one. What is it and why do you love it? My fourth game is Portal 2. Two is is a game that to me was the perfect combination of, of storytelling and gameplay, puzzle mechanics, world building, and everything sort of seamlessly, beautifully integrated. And it's just so delightful to play, and it really just it like pushes your your brain and your your brain cells to to their limit. And also, you could play it together with someone else. I mean, it's the first game that I really truly played co op with someone else. Yes. And and it and and to figure things out together, rather than just shooting stuff and killing things, was amazing. Like it's 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 it is just an, an absolutely perfect game. Uh, I, I love it. And you know, I've since also become friends with Chet and Falasek who actually wrote the co-op uh, missions in in the game, was mm. at least one of the writers on it. A great guy. And and it's just it's just a, a game that puts an instant smile on my face.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's also you, you're someone who has written and talked about a lot the dominance, I suppose, of uh, of the gun as the interactive tool used in video games, and it's uh, I suppose interesting in that sense as well because it's you are essentially firing a weapon, but of course it's a passive uh, projectile. It's sending you you fire once to create a magical portal, and then you fire a second time to do the exit for that portal, and then you can walk between them. So is a game that is sort of solved with a gun, but uh, not in the traditional way. Yeah. Um, is that something that's important
3: to you as well? It, it is, because I, I, you know, it's interesting. I had this interesting conversation at the really wonderful Reboot Develop Blue conference in in Dubrovnik. Like, I was um, sort of hosting a, a panel on VR design and the future of VR design. And one of the ten panelists, uh, Doug, he had this interesting comment, which I hadn't really thought about, I hadn't really realized at that point, was that... Technically, the controller is a gun, like we because the triggers are the, of the triggers because of the triggers, right? yeah. and yeah. when you think about real world uses of triggers. We don't have them anywhere really except guns and then perhaps a power hose, which is why Power Wars Simulator, I guess, is so popular. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's true. It's like a sort of the dominant thing. It's like it's kind of the most mechanically complex element on controllers as well. It's the one that has haptics built in. It's like, you know, the most effort has been put into this trigger. Uh, I guess the, and I did a little bit of research on that uh, a couple of days ago, actually. Um, It was the N64 controller the first one that had a trigger on it it was <laughs> they did it for GoldenEye specifically mm. um right so thank you nintendo i thought you were family friendly but no it's 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 guns are interesting i i, I mean i i i love i i i have played lots and lots and lots of violent games in in my days and i still do it's just like it's just it's almost like when it is taken for granted that i just start to feel a little bit icky about it it's just Boring. It's like it's the easiest way to deal with the problem is to kill someone. You know, I mean, and the problem is you never have to deal with the consequences of that action in games, or very rarely. It's just like it's it's in the real world. It's an it's 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 a dumb thing to do. It's easy as hell to kill someone. I mean, it's you know, it's but it's I I like the in between points. You know, the 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 the, the negotiation. The hang on a second. Can we just hug this (laughs) out or something? (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's a problem with I suppose. Game engines are so good at rendering physics and ballistics, and that stuff's very easy to like calculate the movement of a projectile through 3D space. Yeah, Uh, the things you're talking about, negotiation, you know, human emotion, reading the tells on a person's face, all of that's much much harder, isn't it?
3: Yeah, but but it also inspired me. I mean, a portal inspired me, also also wanting to challenge the idea of the gun as a or, or of killing or destruction as a sort of leading game mechanic inspired me to make the last worker, you know, where where I felt that you know uh, the thing that I find the most destructive right now in society is not being killed quickly by a bullet, but but slowly being killed by automation and by being replaced uh, by being rendered useless by sort of big capitalism, sort of big tech. and Amazon being a very good example of that, where you work in these fulfillment centers and you essentially only have to follow, Orders that are on a PDA that's that is beeping, you know, down the seconds between each package that you have pick up from the shelves, and I thought, wow, that is the most dystopian video game. It's like you know, people, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of pickers, as they call them w- in the world, have to do this dystopian video game, play it while you know, damaging their bodies and souls, you know, in these places the size of multiple football stadiums, you know, on concrete and metal and with no natural light, you know, ten miles a day sometimes Mm. yeah and you go like wow that's that's i want to make a good video game out about this and
2: yeah you're right it's already quite video game like the beeps that you're having to do fulfillment within all of that yeah the the, the, the points
3: that they get points you get points for showing up late you know um negative points and if you reach a certain number of points then you get uh, you know fired right uh but but i also feel that mechanics should um have meaning and And very often in games, the mechanics are separated from the meaning. you know you have almost have stories projected onto something that is essentially still Tomb Raider 30 years later.
2: yeah, they're always the the best games are always the ones that manage to marry the two, aren't they? so you've got a a, a resonance between the mechanic and the story. yeah okay, why don't we come to your fifth and your final game? Yeah tell us about. Tell us about this one, which uh, you are of course very close to. Uh, what's this game and, and why do you want to uh, put it on your console?
3: You know, I mean, my console so far uh, is a flat slash pancake game system. Uh, uh, <laughs> as 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 they call it. But uh, no, I, I, there had to be a VR game on there because I've always wanted to be inside these incredible holodeck experiences one day. And and also, and it's also because Tetsuya, in a previous episode of your fine podcast, put his own game in in his top five. He put a couple he, on there. Well, yeah. He put two. Okay, so, so <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. So I'm I'm uh, I, I felt it would be it would be um, potentially you know the the opposite of humble if I put my own game in there. But since he's put two, allow me one. Um uh, and also he's one of my heroes by the way, uh, so so he 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 should have put five of his games in there because I mean <laughs> Sega Rally was so nearly in my top five. It's uh, it's just a perfect racing game as well. Um, but so yeah, was the game? Oh, sorry, gone <laughs> My fifth game is C Smash VRS. c Smash is a game that you know my friends at Wolfenwood, who I've also re- already you know made the last Worker with, and I have been working on with incredible people like Corey Schmitz, graphic designer, uh, and and Archetype, another amazing uh, gra- uh, graphic designer, uh, in the in the game industry, in and out of the game industry, and with Kenny She, the incredible DJ. musician mm. who DJ, who's also written uh, a track for for Res actually in the past. And uh, Danalog, who wrote music, uh, who is part of the uh, two incredible bands, The Comet Is Coming and Soccer '96, and so uh, we've and Rob Davis, incredible comic book artist and, and, and art director on the game, and we've all sort of joined forces on this on this title and uh, and brought back uh, mm. Cosmic Smash. For,
2: just, for anyone who hasn't played the original or seen footage of you new one, it's essentially a bit like squash in
3: space. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, a uh, squash in space, uh, squash meets breakout in yes, space, right, yeah. and this beautiful sort of minimalist utopian vision of of space. Mm. You know, after you know, after working on this the, uh, dystopia, this fun but also dark dystopia of of the last worker, we. We working on c Smash has been almost like a like a palate cleanser and a and, and a vacation, you know, from all of that, all of that, dre- all that existential dread. We mm-hmm. wanted to build a utopian experience and one that is incredibly inviting and it makes you feel good in your body and also makes you feel good either alone or with someone else because you can play it online, and your full body is in the game. It is full body
2: because it's um, it's a racket sport. You're sort of knocking a squash ball against, like you say, a breakout wall of bricks on the other side. And every time your ball strikes one, the the brick disappears. The idea is to get rid of all the bricks as fast as you can. And in VR, you need a bit of space, you know, to play the game, don't you? Because you're swinging your arm around and you know, lining up backhands and slice shots and all of that.
3: Yeah, we released a, a demo in March. Uh, the full game is coming out. On the on the twenty third of uh, June, but we released a demo in March, and we've had multiple tweets. I'm afraid of people smashing things. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> Smash C <by> smashing, sea <laughs> smashing. Yeah, things in there, in there, in there. So we haven't been really like um, sort of promoting that a whole lot on on the the socials, but. Um, But there was one couple of streamers, actually, in Japan who actually smashed their brand new 55-inch Sony Plasma TV. Oh, jeez. It's not my fault, okay? Like, people should set their sort of, like, safety settings and, like, set up their space properly before they play any VR game. Did you get
2: Corey Schmitz to do a very nice little disclaimer for you in Beautiful...
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did. Yeah, him and Dan. Yeah. Yeah. but 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 they still pre-ordered the game and they're still following the game on Twitter and and so I think that is testament to how fu- much fun that is. I feel really really sorry for that TV and uh, and 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 hopefully it was insured and everything. I, I don't know, but um, it is it is yeah. Your whole body is inside of it and it's incredible because it's it's not just floating hands like in most VR games or. It's like you you see you have legs in it your 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 arms are attached you can play it seated or standing as well and we don't favor anyone based on either of those choices uh, so uh. so you could be actually playing it fully physically in your couch as well if you want and uh, it's uh, it's just a blast it just and we play it and ev- and we play it in our spare time mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy it's so much fun Good it sign. feels it's yeah that's the first time I've had this experience of anything that I've ever worked on where. I don't get tired of of it. I, I I don't want to have a break from it. I mean, we do have breaks, of course, but we. The fact that you're enjoying your own creation yeah. is 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 new to me. Yeah. Like <laughs> I've done so many dark stories and so many things, but here it's just it's just a blast. So I, I love it. I just want to. I genuinely want to play this game like all the time. Lovely,
2: very nice. Yeah, it looks fantastic as well. I have to say, really, very. Handsome video game, very stylish.
3: Yeah, and also there's some new modes now. There's a there's a, there's a body smash mode where you don't smash bricks. You actually want to hit the other player with a ball, and and in, in a super narrow sort of corridor, both of you have a ball at the same time, and either of the balls can can <laughs> can cost you a point. It is insane. It is so much fun. People are giggling like crazy playing it. It's it's like people just get giddy playing it. It's awesome. It's like, so I can't wait for people to play that, you know, at the end of June. It's just, it's it's really genuinely make me very very happy. Oh,
2: I hope it's a big success. Thank you. Right, yeah, let's go through your your console then. So we've got OutRun, Heart of Darkness, Ridge Racer Type 4, Portal
3: 2, and C-Smash VRS. How are you feeling about that? I feel really good about it. I, I feel good about the fact that I I can, if I if I am, I mean, I, sometimes I think of your show a little bit as a desert island games, but because I, I do imagine myself ending up on this island, this is my perfect console. And and if I don't have a a companion on the island, hopefully there's an internet connection. Um, yeah, yeah, that's but, fine. Um, yeah. Is that fine? You've okay, got I really, really okay. good Wi-Fi. Okay, great. Oh, perfect. Yes. So, so the idea that I can play Portal Two with with people somewhere else makes me very happy. The fact that I can keep keep fit, you know, because I don't know how big that island is, walking, you know, uh, might not make me fit. So, so I could I could play C Smash, keep fit with that, and then there's this others, these those, you know, there won't be car, enough room for a car. So, the, the, these two racing games. I say the the island stunning. is
2: not part of the fiction that I'm giving you, Jörg. So, you have to sort your own parking out on your island. You know, if that's where you choose to play your yeah.
3: console, okay, it's a very different show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I have, I, I lack an imagination clearly, you know, and but also I, I believe that your show will, will be the biggest show, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, bigger than that other show that I mentioned. So, you know, we'll see.
2: Okay. Yeah, just before I let you go, um, you know, I've mentioned there that you, you obviously have a talent for, for adaptations. That's something that you're very interested in and you have been ever since you first worked on the minority report. Um, you know, are there any other properties that you'd like to adapt? You know, I suppose people would be interested to hear if there's another Dreamcast game you'd like to update now that you have got an in with Sega.
3: Yes, I won't say which. Oh come on, give us absolute... give us three and I'll tell you which one I hope oh it my is. God, no, I'm not gonna do that. Give us five. Okay. You can't just you can't just say yes. I want to okay, do it. Okay. okay, I'll say but okay, but I might I might not say yes. I might not say yes if you if you get it right. Let's do it that okay, way. That's okay, that's fine, yeah. I'll give you five different Dreamcast games. We gotta do some really random random ones. Ferrari three five five. Okay. You won't get a license for that, but yeah.
2: <laughs> god, so we're down to four. Uh, oh my
3: god. Um uh okay, um uh okay, so Dreamcast specifically or or okay. Uh oh my god. Um just said radio. Mm, lovely. Um choo choo rocket. Yep. Um was there a house of the dead house of the dead okay and um Samba de amigo
2: okay oh yeah that'd be great <laughs> all
3: right oh wait that's coming out in august like sega's actually making that in august oh are they
2: okay yeah, but yeah. They, they keep re-releasing that, but they don't have the plastic maracas, which is what you need. That's what they had with the uh, Dreamcast one, which is what made it so good. Because so. Yeah. they did one on Wii, didn't they, where you just had to use the little controllers It was not quite Yeah, good here it's going to be
3: on Switch, I think. It's a Switch exclusive, I think. Okay. Um, so I guess you can use the the thingies, um, the, the Joy-Cons, but, uh, but yeah, the maracas are awesome. I, I still have my maracas and Oh, I love that game so much! It's uh, the original, yeah. um, new one. I hope, I hope, I hope they do it right. It'd be great, It'd be great if they sort of revived it.
2: Well, to be to be frank, I'd I'd like to see a return of any of those five. So let's hope that you you get one of them. That would be great
3: yeah i I'm, I'm I'm yeah but I also working on an original title uh with the world's best narrative designers um yeah uh it's it can be a very lonely experience working on games um for many years, and so I now want to make a game quickly but with the best people so we can all sort of enjoy the fruit of our labor not three or four years after lonely lonely you know being stuck at home or whatever working on the stuff so so that's one of my next next things. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. So. Oh, great! Yeah. Well,
2: we will all watch this space and uh, be excited to see what you do next. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Yerg. It's been great to talk to you and hear your stories, especially about the Minority Report. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, thank you. It was it was a it was a crazy time, and it's at games. I mean, I think I think there's some amazing stories uh, forming in the in the current state of the. Game industry, you know, I, I'm I'm hearing so much stuff. It's like it, we're in so much fl- we're in so much flux right now. We always have been because we're new, you know, as an art form. But uh, it's like it, it is it is uh, it is a fascinating medium, and uh, and it's and, and your show is, is a great one to listen to because it's rare that we actually get to hear from the creators and 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 from the people that are essential in sort of shaping this as a cultural medium. And, uh, so, so thank you for having me and, and, mm. and thank you for inspiring me. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks, Jörg.
2: Thank you so much to my guest, Jörg Titel. Uh, you may have noticed there, he has a game out this week, uh, out on Friday. It is C-Smash VRS or Cosmic Smash 2, as uh, as I prefer to refer to it. It's out on the Friday, the 23rd of June, 2023. Um, so you'll be able to get that in a few days' time if you're listening to this podcast uh, when it's hotly dropped. Uh, but if you're listening to this in the future, then you can just pop along and find that. It's out on PlayStation VR 2, so you do need to Own that particular piece of kit. Um, I did speak to Jurg a little while ago, and I think he was maybe uh, investigating the potential of bringing it to other headsets. I am not quite sure what the deal is they've got with Sega or with Sony or any of the ins and outs of that, but uh, perhaps it will be available on other VR platforms and maybe even non VR platforms at some point in the future. Who knows? Uh, You can also always track down a copy of the original Cosmic Smash for Dreamcast uh, or for the Naomi (laughs) Arcade Cabinet, if you own one of those. Um, (laughs) I'm sure many of you do. Listeners to My Perfect Console, you're all elite gamers, aren't you? Uh, One other thing. So in all of the excitement uh, where I was asking Jurg to... Uh, give me five Dreamcast games, and I was going to guess which one he's working on next. I forgot to ask him for a name for his console. Uh, very amateurish. I apologise, Jürg. I did. Uh, I did then write to him and say, uh, could you please supply one? And was highly apologetic, of course. And Jürg wrote to me. I think I'd probably call my perfect console the Cosmos. I'm that much of a Sega nerd, uh, and a fitting name for a console that holds a whole universe of games within it. Very much on brand there from from Jörg, uh, but a, a good name for a console, I think. The Cosmos. There we go. Right, um That was great. I loved hearing from Jörg. If you want to hear more from Jörg, I didn't actually mention this uh, before now, but he has recently launched a podcast of his own that he presents with Chantal Ryan, who is a Um, a game thinker and developer from Australia. It is called Directional Podcast. Uh, You can find out more of it if you just search up Directional Podcast and you'll be able to find out more about what Jörg is doing there. I think they're doing some interviews and stuff like that and just general chat about uh, where video games are headed. I absolutely loved hearing Jörg's stories in particular. What an amazing scene from Activision all those years ago. That little team working blind on Minority Report, a very vivid scene. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure some of you listening to this may have worked on movie tie-ins in the past. <laughs> Perhaps you've got PTSD and you're rocking in the corner. Um, but yeah, not really a kind of game that's made anymore. Although there was a, a Lord of the Rings Gollum release, wasn't there, a few weeks ago. Uh, but nowadays, I think, most movies when they come out the marketing teams just try and stick their characters in Fortnite or something. Does the job. So yeah, it was nice to get a sense of that vanished world of the of the movie tie-in. Um sounds horrendous to be honest. <laughs> Probably good riddance, but uh anyway, I'm sure some of them were good. I can't think of any right now. But uh the Lord of the Rings real time strategy games were pretty good, weren't they? But uh yeah maybe maybe write in, let me know what your favourite uh what your favourite Movie tie-in games were from the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, I thought I'd read out a little bit of correspondence. Not gonna, not sure if I'm going to be doing this uh, every episode, but uh yeah, had some had some emails here that I thought I might share with you. This is a nice one from a chap called Paul Morris. Uh, I've been enjoying your podcast very much. Unusually relaxed and thoughtful look at games in the game industry. Um. Thank you, Paul. He says one small piece of feedback is I would like a little more formal introduction on what each chosen game is, as well as how it's played. Uh, that is a fair point. Um, I'm aware that uh, you know not not every listener would have played every game. In fact, I have not played every game that comes up on this podcast. So um, I will endeavour to try to ask my guests to explain what's going on in their picks uh, a little more thoroughly. I have got lots and lots of episodes that I've already recorded. Um, so yes, it's it that's going to sort of come in gradually. I would say over the next few weeks and months. Uh, but yeah, I will try try and lock down a bit more what happens um, in each in each game that's under discussion. And actually, quite a few people have also emailed just to say, "Can I can I repeat the names of the games as well?" Because you can't always catch it when the when the guest uh, sort of you know states it. Uh, so I will try and do that as well. And I do repeat them at the end of the episode. Uh, which was some early feedback on the podcast that came from my friend Tom Fennec, Um told me to do that. So, yes, I will try and uh, try and just make that clearer as well. Nice email here from Tom White. He said, I just wanted to send you a note to say thank you for a wonderful podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, I've always loved gaming, but never had much of a community to share that love with. Your podcast feels a bit like that. It's only the second gaming podcast I've ever uh, loved. The other is A Life Well Wasted. A very, very good podcast. That is um, not many episodes, but each one thoroughly, brilliantly produced. And you should go and listen to those. That's me speaking there. Uh, this is back to Tom. Happily, my five-year-old stepson is just getting into games. and We've cracked out a few of my old consoles as an introduction, which feels synergistic to your podcast too. Uh, that's very very um sweet message there let's see here's one from james campbell uh who says i've listened to all the episodes now bar the most recent one i love the format and how open guests have been i like that it's a diverse group of people hearing writers actors game designers and musicians are on games is really interesting thank you james um He says, do we have any sports related people coming up in uh, any forthcoming episodes? Uh, I don't. I will get to work on that. Uh, James just does suggest Will still the coach of Reims. So this is the chap who has led his French team to much glory. And he, I believe, cut his teeth on football manager. Um, so a great story there I don't know if he's fed up talking about football manager but I will try and get in contact with him see if I can get him involved um he also asked my uh, last question is do you have any Nintendo related guests coming up I do indeed have a fantastic Nintendo guest coming up uh, very shortly uh, who's got some incredible stories from uh, hanging out at at Nintendo in the early 90s, uh, some real fantastic anecdotes there to share with you. So I look forward to that. Um, yeah, thank you. Just a very small selection of the the emails and messages that I sent. Thank you for all the kind messages as well about the episode with Tom Bissell from a couple back. People really, really loved hearing from Tom uh, he was a fantastic guest, obviously a very eloquent human being, uh, I think used to giving lots of interviews, but uh, but also, yeah, I mean, just so wide ranging, knowledgeable about games. And of course, Tom has achieved uh, great things in, in a diverse number of industries in which he's written. So, um, yeah, if you've not listened to that, I do recommend you go back, have a listen to the brilliant Tom Bissell. If you would like to write to me, then you can do so at myperfectconsole at gmail.com. Uh, if you are someone who is maybe interested on coming on the podcast, don't be shy. You can email or get your get your person to email. Uh, there are uh, I'm getting more and more requests for for people to come onto the podcast podcast which is wonderful I do try and get back to everyone um, and uh, yes so I, you know no promises but if it's a if it's a good fit then try and make that work uh, but anyway if you just got some comments and thoughts and suggestions then do get in contact or just uh, yeah you just want to say hi that's all good uh, you can also follow the podcast on Twitter at my perfect console with the O's removed uh, also on Instagram yeah, I think that's about it for now. I'm not quite sure what community features have been released at the precise moment I'm recording this. So I'll, uh, I won't i will talk about those. Other than to say, if you do want to support the podcast financially and would like to get your episodes early and ad free, pop along to ACAST+. Plus search for My Perfect Console and you can do that for really some small change a month. It just helps keep it sustainable. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully keep doing it well into next year. That's enough from me. Anyway, uh, I'll be back again next week with one more guest. they five games and one more perfect console until then. Goodbye.